Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another Coinonia Hour. As you can see, Jamie Walden has joined us again today to give us a very excellent word. He told me a little bit about what the Lord is prepared to give us. And um, so I also want to say, knowing we're on Skype, you'll probably see me freeze. <laughs> but my guests never freeze, praise the Lord. So I'm not the focus. So if it freezes, let it go. <laughs> so Jamie, I want to welcome you back again. Yeah, thanks, sister. It's always a pleasure being on and to be able to truly, you know, seek the Lord to strengthen and equip them for what we've always been saying are the days ahead or, you know, anyways, that's what the Lord's burned me in the tagline of the book is, you know, strengthening and equipping a warrior class of Christians for the days ahead. But it's not the days that are ahead any longer. It's the days that are here. I mean, my that the the word the Lord gave me for that book is only three years old and it's already right breathing in our faces, you know, and as we were talking a little bit off air is like, what what does that look like as the as the days grow darker, as the church in increases in its lawlessness, right? We know that the man of lawlessness himself, the Antichrist, cannot come into the scene. To the great apostasia, the great uh, apostasy of the church, the official uh, a rebellion or or revolt against the dogmatic religious truths you once held to be true. Until that occurs, the man of lawlessness can't come on the scene. And we're seeing that going on in real time right now with the church. And as we were talking off air, it's like it, it's so easy to be perceived or, or for, for people to enter in presumption that you're acting in self-righteousness or haughtiness, right, or, or some vainglorious self-exaltation. We're like, I don't understand why people aren't, you know, the language is like here, like, why don't they want the Lord? Why don't they want the word? Is, why don't they want to be exposed? Why Why wouldn't you want the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's going to lead you into sanctification? What is this gamesmanship of religiosity and even jellyfish churchianity where like even the people, a lot of people in our, in our sphere of influence, they just don't want the Lord. They want aspects of the Lord. They like the Lord but they do not love the Lord and it's shown in their fruit. And it's easy to go, oh, that's self-righteous. That's so haughty, you know, and, and uh, Romans 15, the, those who are strong in the Lord have an obligation to bear, bear with the failings of the weak, but not to please themselves, to build them up. And each man, according to the measure of faith given him, right? And, they're, they're, and it's like, yes, I'm in agreement with that. But man, there's something that's going on that for real, the general posture of the Redeemer Lord, even many that may be listening to, to this to this broadcast that you host, is that they say that they're wealthy and in need of nothing. That's the posture is like, I'm crushing it for Jesus. Look at how many podcasts I listen to. Look at how many YouTube channels I listen to. They've forsaken the fellowship of the saints. They do not gather in the flesh with the people, even more so they see the day of Lord coming. They're not actively engaging in the kingdom reality with the kingdom mindset, with the kingdom mission set to advance the kingdom of God. And yet all the while they're saying that they're wealthy and in need of nothing. But the Lord puts forward this. It's, it's, it is a harsh rebuke. It is admonishment, right? But the Lord only disciplines those who he loves. He's like, you say this, but let me tell you, you're actually wretched to me. You're pitiful. You're poor. You think you're rich in spirit. You're poor in spirit and you're blind and you're naked. So here's some counsel for you, right? And he goes down the list like, I counsel you, repent. 
You know, buy from me gold refined on fire. Purchase for me white raiments to cover your nakedness. Buy from me balm that your eyes may see. Come to me. I'm on the outside knocking, trying to get in. There's only one church age where the Lord is on the outside trying to get back into the church, the church that Ephesians 5 gave himself up for, literally poured out to make her blameless, spotless, without wrinkle, a radiant church. And he's pounding, let me back in. But at the same time, the Lord will not be mocked. If you want to sow according to the flesh, you'll reap what you sow. You'll, you'll reap destruction. But if you want to sow according to the spirit, you'll reap life and you'll, re, you'll reap peace and you'll reap righteousness eternally, right? And so he's continually speaking to these things of like, wake up, church, wake up. And we are talking off air that that is the command that we see from Genesis to Revelation is this perpetual admonishment that should cut us to the heart and strike us to fear to wake up and throw off the dissipations and the anxieties of this life and get very serious about having a kingdom mindset, an eternal mindset, and a movable mindset, a resolute identity in Christ, a knowing of our God, a forsaking of the world and everything of the world. That includes your apostate children. That includes your unbelieving, you know, friends that you think you can fellowship with. That includes throwing off, uh, uh, being willing to leave a church, even though you you think it's you're trying to honor God by being forbearing, and yet it's obvious that your pastor is teaching. A, he, he errs not knowing the scriptures, know the power of God, but you're like, but I want to remain in here because where else would I go? And it's like, you throw it all off the 401ks and the IRAs and the, and this fanciful concept of watching your grandkids get married one day, you forsake it all for the cause of Christ. And you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness mm-hmm. and knowing that what he has in store for you inside the family that you've been bought into by the blood of the lamb, the ring on your finger, the cloak on your back, the new family name that you now bear, an heir and a co-heir with Christ Jesus is going to far surpass anything that this fleeting world has to offer you. And that's where the Redeemer Lord have to live and reside every day, but especially in this late hour. And this is where we have to be on our spiritual A game so that when we fall short, a brother or sister comes near to lift us up. And then when they fall short, because we're seeking the Lord, we're able to come beside and lift them up in the Lord and call them back up into their identity in Christ Jesus. And now we are actually being the body. This is what it looks like mm-hmm. to be the body. It's not being consumeristic Christians of things that our itching ears want to hear which may even be this broadcast is something like, Ooh, that resonates with me. That resonates with me. And I go, I don't care if it resonates with you. I care that you're doing business with the Holy God. I don't care how it resonates with you. I care. Is it cutting you to the heart? This is a man who I esteem him who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. Like, do you want the esteem of the Lord? Do you want the esteem of the world? Do you want the esteem of your bosses? Do you want the esteem of your, of your church community? Or do you want the esteem of the Lord? I want the esteem of the Lord. And he's like, this is what it looks like. Humble, contrite, and trembles at my word. And when you're doing that, sister, when I'm doing that, when my other brothers and sisters are doing that, now we are actually equipped to adequately adequately be the body to one another. And therefore, 
testify, be the testimony, be the light on a hill and a crooked and perverse generation of the kingdom that we represent. Then we're being ambassadors. Then we are being the elect exiles of the dispersion that we've been foreknown to be. Then we are being like it says in Ephesians 1, that people that has been chosen and foreknown before the foundations of the earth for blamelessness and holiness. And not that we have holiness of ourselves, but we have been chosen, foreknown before the foundations of the earth in him, in Christ Jesus, to be made holy through Christ's sanctifying work, the propitiation of our sins, that he might present us to his father as a royal priesthood all of his own. The language in scripture says, sorry about that. It says a kingdom of priests all of his own. Mm -hmm. He is to, he's seeking to make a kingdom of priests all of his own just for Christ Jesus that minister before his father day and night that are that just glorify him and worship him and glorify him and minister before him and do these things before the Lord. And it's like, that's what you've been foreknown for. So then the question is, and I test myself in this and I fall short all the time. This is why the gospel must be exalted mm -hmm. because how disgusting our carnality and our sin and our flesh is it magnifies the gospel of Jesus Christ because I say, I have nothing in myself to bring you, Lord, other than a double-minded, wayward, sheepiness, carnal, deceitfully wicked heart, God. I, that's all I have to bring to you in a mouth of worship. So, Lord, take my mouth of worship. Take the whole tithe of my life. Make me holy and blameless through your son, Christ Jesus. Present me before the Father, spotless and with great joy, as it says in the book of June. So, anyways. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's no. what happens if you spin me up. No, no, no. I that's why I have you. That's why I have you on. You know, it's interesting. You were talking in the book of um, Ephesians, and this morning I was thinking about that word about you know because the book of Ephesians is the one and only epistle written by Paul that has the most power terminology in it. But one thing he says in there. He says, awake, O thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You know, it's very interesting that he injects that in the most power terminology rich letter to the churches. You know, I also was thinking about how he caused a deep sleep to be cast over the children of Israel. It's kind of like, an, not kind of, I look at that as very much an apostate. I'm going to turn you over to your sleep. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, abs it's absolutely because we see it in Revelation 3, 1 through 3. It says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, see that. I mean, it's just so amazing how much we've reduced God to this, this buddy, you know, this fire insurance, uh, friendship evangelistic buddy, you know, and, and that, that he has no rules, no commands, no decrees, no, no obligations to the grace he's given you, and that you are free to trample underfoot the grace that's been demonstrated to you through the blood of the Lamb. Like, it's just amazing. So he says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a, uh, a thief, sorry. I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Mm. I'm coming against you, 
bro. That's I was like, bro, I'm coming against you. Like I see, like God speaks with such, such intensity because the command is to wake up. The command is to arise, O sleeper, then, right? There's an if then, if then, arise, awake, O sleeper, then Christ will shine upon you, all right? And then we have Isaiah 61 and 2, arise, shine, that's wake up, shine brightly, for the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. Though darkness is over the earth and thick darkness is over the people, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We are talking off Aaron and uh, how in Zechariah 4, you know, the angel of the Lord kicks Zechariah as the angel of the Lord is sharing with him these wonderful, the wonderful hope for Israel. He falls asleep. Zechariah falls asleep and the angel of the Lord like kicks him and he's like, wake up, wake up, homie. Don't you understand what's going Don't you understand what's going on? Right. And we see this in Daniel 10, seven through nine. And we see this in Luke 9, 32. Now, Peter and those who, who were with him were heavy with sleep. This is at the transfiguration. Elijah and Moses showing up and Christ Jesus seen him in his magnified, glorified body. And it says, and Peter and those who were with them were heavy with sleep. Oh, but wait, but when they became fully awake, look at the particular language. This is Luke 9, 32. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two who stood with them. And he says, same thing in Zechariah is like, wake up. You need to be fully awake for the revelation I'm about to give you of the future of Israel. I know you're in despair. I know there's thick darkness over the earth. I know that this seems like a small matter, this rebuilding of the temple. I, I know that this seems like a small thing in your eyes. Zerubbabel, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, wake up. You have to be fully awake to know and understand what I'm about ready to do. Church, Revelation 3, you better wake up. You need to have full revelation because you need to know and understand what I'm about ready to do. But if you are found asleep, you, you better know this. You better recognize I will not, I'm not to be trifled with. I myself will fight against you if you do not. Matthew 24, Luke 13, Luke 21, wake up, stay awake. Not, just, not only is the can command to wake up, and then hit the snooze alarm because you go, oh, wow, that was like a spiritual shot to the arm. I've heard people use that language. And then you hit the snooze button, boop, back to sleep. It says, stay alert, stay awake, because you do not know at what hour your king is coming. And it says, if he comes and finds you asleep at that hour, you will suffer loss. Again, this awaking, 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 this called a hypervigilance, right? That's a word we use in the military, Marine Corps, if anybody doesn't know that. But like uh, is it, this concept of hyper vigilance. And I actually when, when I got fired from being a missionary for talking about Jesus too much, they one of the reasons why they said that they needed to fire me and my family is because of the hyper vigilance with which we pursue the Lord and his word and his righteousness. It made them feel so insecure because they wanted to enjoy the dissipations and everything about us challenged their desire to enjoy the dissipations so much so that they made us leave the Dominican Republic with a two weeks notice. The missionaries and the mission organizations of the region said, we can't have you here because you're too disruptive because you make people feel insecure about their walk with the Lord. Insane, right? And yet the word is so particular about being hyper sober minded, hyper vision, alert, on guard, be on guard, be watchful, waiting, looking, eager anticipation of 
even more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. You know, you were not, you were once in darkness, now you're in light. So live like children of light. Work to expose the darkness. Arise, O sleeper, awake, and then Christ will shine upon you. So there's this. The the scripture is constantly speaking to this process of being a, a alive in the Lord, not dead. You have a reputation of being alive, church, but I'm telling you, you aren't. You are dead. So I give the command, wake up. Not only do I give the command to wake up, I give the command to stay awake, stay hypervigilant. You know, in the Marine Corps, we have I when I when I see particular language in scriptures this is why it always like i i see it through a combat marine lens right when i see this i see captain of my salvation the lord god of the heavens armies advance go do the weapons of our warfare right it all 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 this language the the bank the, the battle flag over you is love right and and when the enemy comes in like a flood the lord raises a standard against him i know what a guide on a battle flag and ensign means i know how it's used in battle to align and orient and push through the fog of war and it's stuck on the highest position immovable testifying to the victory right like i see the language in the scriptures and it comes alive to me it's and this is why the lord burned me to wrote, write the book it's all it's all through the lens of a king and a kingdom at war and the warrior culture that he has called you into. It's that's all the language from Genesis to Revelation begins with warfare. Genesis 1-1, the world was tohu and bohu without form and void, presupposes warfare, and it ends with warfare, Revelation 21. And the rider on the white horse whose name was Faithful and True rides out to make war. To make war, like, and everything in between, right? So, okay, I digress. I say all that to say that this idea of being awake and waking up and vigilant at all times, not being caught unaware, not slipping into the anxieties and dissipations of life, right? Not being foolish, but wise, discerning the times for the days of evil, fixing your eyes on Christ. So when your eyes are fixed, when you put blinders on a horse, they go only the way that they are commanded to go because the reins are in the hands of the rider. Hence, meekness. Is everybody, the definition of meekness is a war horse bridled. The reins are in the hand of the rider. You have been given all spiritual gifting. You have been given all power in Christ Jesus. You have been given you know, all these things through the word of God, you have in Christ Jesus, these things, just as Christ Jesus had them within himself. Christ Jesus could have taken himself off the cross. Christ Jesus could have commanded legions of angels to deliver him. He did not have to go to the cross. He was forgiving sins before the cross. Everybody understand that. He said, may your sins be forgiven. But what he set out to do was to restore and reconcile all of humanity to the father. So as the war horse, Christ, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a mighty man, like a man of war. He goes and stirs up his zeal against his foes. This is who he is, ladies and gents. Christ Jesus puts the reins in the hands of his father. Lord, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. See, that's meekness. And so even we in meekness, we, we have these things in ourselves through Christ Jesus, through the completed work of the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the promise to go forth and do even greater things than what he's done. But yet we entrust the reins to, we put the reins in the commander of our chief's hand, in the captain of our salvation's hand, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Is is it martyrdom, Lord? Is it is it quietness? Is it trust? 
Is it boldness and fierceness? Is it to stand? Is it to sit? Is it to speak? Is it to shut our mouths, Lord? Is it to arise or is it to, to take the persecution? And like a sheep before shears, like you were Christ Jesus, setting the example, leading from the front to not even lift up a cry. What is it, Lord? The reins are in your hand. I'll obey you. I don't know where I was going with that. The fourth watch of the night. The command to be hypervigilant, right? It's not a suggestion. It is a command. And anyone who says he loves me but does not obey my commands is a liar. And the truth isn't in him. So you can't say, I want to live in dissipations and in complacency. Woe to the complacent. Go research it. Woe, woe, woe. Complacency is one of the number one things the Lord speaks woe over. Woe to the complacent. This, the, the complacency of fools destroys them, period, right? So you can't think that you can drink from the cup of Christ and the cup of demons. You can't be a friend of the world and, and an, an asset to the kingdom of God at the same time. You cannot sit with Bealial and Christ at the same time. Light and or darkness and light cannot have any fellowship together. It's very pure, very uh, declarative in the word of God, these things. And so the command is, is that you must be awake. You must be. And now you say that you're wealthy and need nothing. You say that you're alive or you have a reputation of being alive. But I'm telling you, you got a short window to repent and actually fix your eyes back on Christ Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, right? And so this is why it's so critical because it regularly talks about the thief coming in the night, coming in the darkness, coming at a time you do not know, coming in the fourth watch of the night the third or the fourth watch of the night. That language may not mean anything to most people, but being in, in, in the Marine Corps infantry, it means a lot to me because every single night from the day you enter the, the Marine Corps or the infantry, right, combat, combat MOSs, from day one, you have to stand fire watch. Every stinking night you're in the military. It's horrible. It's horrible. And fire watch is, is there's guys that are on what, however you set up the rotation for the night that has to be up and awake and vigilant while your other Marines are able to sleep for a short time. And the worst fire watch time that you could ever get prescribed, usually it was punishment because you did something bad during the day or whatever, was the third or the fourth watch of the night. Why? Because it is the latest late hour. It is the pitches dark. It is the darkest time of the entire night, which is that four o'clock to six o'clock time frame. And you've been up straight through the night. And now you're in the, that last watch of the night, the third or fourth watch of the night. The moon is the farthest that it can possibly be away from the sun. There is no reflectivity of ambient light. The, 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 the ambient light in the atmosphere is changing such to where even the starlights aren't giving you any light. It is the pitchest black of the night. You are the most exhausted. You're the most weary. You're the most tired. It's been arduous training and fighting all day long. You've been poured out. You have nothing left. And he says, your commander or your sergeant says, you stand watch with all vigilance so that nothing that the enemy attempts to do can come against your brothers. You are to remain vigilant in the third and the fourth watch in the night. In fact, that's when the enemy always strikes. Military strategy 101, that when you least expect it, they're not coming at 10 a.m. after you've 
uh, you're, you've gotten awake and you got your coffee and you're in your little snuggie and you've done your daily devotional and you know, like you're, you're all happy go lucky and, and you, you watched a little something and you got praise and worship music playing in the house and you're just like, ah, you know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then the enemy comes at you when you're at full strength. Nope, that's not military strategy. It's in the third and fourth watch of the night, which is why the command has always been, you must, you must wake up, not just wake up, but stay awake, not just stay awake, but be sober-minded and hypervigilant, not just be sober-minded and hypervigilant, but, but be in eager anticipation. You must church and we're not. This is so interesting that you talked about the fire watch and that darkest that thick darkness you know i was thinking about the gross darkness that thick darkness and i thought wait a minute i remember i wrote something in my bible from a book i wrote called the, the it's a chapter taken from the temple it's ministry and services by alfred edersheim and it's the chapter called the thief in the night and listen to what he says the rounds of the captain it begins there during the night the captain of the temple made his rounds on his approach, the guards had to rise and salute him in a particular manner. Any guard found asleep when on duty was beaten or his garments set on fire. Punishment, as we know, actually awarded. Hence the admonition to us who, as it were, are here on uh, temple guard. Blessed is he who watcheth and keepeth his garden, his garments. So the high priest checking on the Levites to see if they were sleeping while on their watch. If he found one sleeping, he would use a torch to uh, singe one's garments. They had a common nickname for him, thief in the night. Mm. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's what, like in Mark 13, you know, it says, and this is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when your mas when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. And it's interesting. I've never heard that about the singeing of the garments. That that's very interesting because I it makes me think right away of. Uh, now I can't remember a verse. <laughs> I can't remember where it's found. It's maybe First Corinthians two or something. But it, when when Paul's saying, "Listen, Christ is the foundation on which every man builds," like right, like we we like an expert builder, I built the foundation. Christ is the foundation on which every man builds. So listen, this is like your salvation is not by works, right? That's what he's saying. But you get to choose what you build with. Some build with stick, hay, or straw. Others with gold, silver, or precious stones. And then he says, so this is interesting. It's such a fascinating connection that at the coming of the son of man, each man's building material will be tested with fire to see what is remaining. And some may enter the kingdom of heaven, but by the skin of their teeth, as some translations render, render it, right? So it's, so it, it is like the same thread is like there is reward and there is blessing to those who stay awake. There is also loss that you will suffer if you do not stay awake and there's this call to repentance there's this admonishment that i myself will fight against you i mean can you like jesus is speaking to his church and he says if you don't i myself am going to fight against you do you know who's saying that church i'm like 
Doesn't this cause you to fear? And in so fearing, you become wise. And in becoming wise, you, you so grow in your identity in Christ. And as you grow in your identity in Christ and you become wise, then you're, you're increasingly taking on the righteousness of Christ in the land of living. And as you're increasingly in the righteousness of Christ, then you turn many back to righteousness because it says those who are wise— well, it'll be a time like to which never has been, never will be again. But those who are wise in the Lord will turn many back to righteousness. And if you're fearing in the Lord and you're growing in wisdom and you're growing in righteousness and you're you're progressively being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit and the word in you, wouldn't you increase in a knowing of your God? And doesn't the word say that those who know their God, not those who like their God, those who know their God will be strong and go forth and do exploits. Doesn't it say that church? And it's like every single thing presupposes the other thing. And it's all centered on the fear of the Lord. And he's never going to change for our fleeting notion and sensibilities of emotional pleasantries that we think he should meet. He is God. You are not period. I, I'm like that to me is one of the most difficult things for me to comprehend in the church is like, what do you mean you take issue with that verse? What do you mean you've uh, like, he's God, you're not, who is the clay to say to the potter? Like, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? Like, this is insane. He's God. You just obey, right? And fear and in love because you know him, you love him and you know the wisdom and the goodness of everything that he would ever, any command or decree or edict that he would pass down, you know that it's only rooted in love and it's only for, for your best and it's only for what is abundance. And yet we throw it in his face all day long. So yeah, it's interesting. That's that Revelation 16, 15 that says, this is right when God's pouring out the bowls mm -hmm. of wrath, right? He says, even in the, in the midst of God pouring out the bowls of wrath, this is like nearing the end of it all, right? Mm -hmm. We've already had the, the, the seals and the trumpets and all the other stuff going on. Now the bowls of wrath coming. And God says this with this eternal blessing attached. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Mm -hmm. There's what you're just saying. Blessed is the one who stays awake. There's a blessing attached to it keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. I wonder, speculating, given that awesome understanding of what's going on in the temple with the temple captain, I wonder what he's saying when he catches you asleep and he singes the, the edges of your garment, he's going he's gonna to burn them right off of you. And he's going to burn them right off of you, bro. That's and you're right. going to be legit naked. You know, and it's like, that's how big a deal it is that when he finds his church asleep and that darkest hour and the fourth watch, we are, we are to be shining the brightest, shining the brightest, you know, and that's why that, that's why that whole Zechariah four is so cool to me. Starts off with the angel kicking him awake, like, wake up, bro. I, I'm, I'm showing you a new thing. I'm giving you a revelation that I know your flesh is weak, but your spirit through the spirit, you can receive these things and stay awake on these things. Listen, I'm about ready to do something. The work that's been, that has been begun is going to be completed. Look at the Zerubbabel. He holds a plumb line. What are you, almighty mountain before Zerubbabel? Yeah. Listen, the work that I completed is going to be finished. Does this seem like a small matter in your eyes? Look at the lampstand. Look at the bowl. Look at the two olive trees on the other side. Listen, the bowl is perpetually being filled with the olive oil, which is the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. And it is filling the lampstands and they're going to burn ever brightly. No longer is the, are the hands of errant man going to be responsible for keeping it burning. No longer. They're apostate. 
I myself, not by strength, nor by power, or not by power, nor by might, however translation re renders it, but by my spirit, says the Lord, no longer will priest in the hands of errant carnal man be responsible for keeping my golden lampstand burning. I myself will fill the bowl perpetually and it will burn brightly. Does this seem like a small matter in your eyes? Zerubbabel, Zechariah, like, don't you understand that latter glory is going to be greater than the former glory? Wake up, get in the fight, and keep advancing the kingdom of God. Sorry, I get all amped up. No, it's that's just, all right. it's so no, powerful, right? I, yeah, it is. In fact, what's great about it is I just finished reading the book. I studied it just a couple days ago, the book of Zechariah, you know, in my devotions, like, you know, so I break it up in two chapters a day so I could just really soak it in, you know. And the one part where Zeruba, uh, where Joshua, the high priest, the high priest, remember Satan was standing at his right hand, accusing him of voices saying, change his garments. And so years ago, I wanted to read, you know how, when you go into deeper studies, you go, well, I want to see what the, you know, Matthew Henry or whoever it is, you know, yeah. some really good, solid scholars. Right. And they agreed with this, um, that, when we read it in our American language, we're like, okay, so his garments were dirty. Uh, I guess God wanted him to have, and it was representative of holy righteousness, a, a, a sacred, a, sancti a sanctity in, you know, before the Lord with the linen miter and such, such. But what I read from Hebrew scholars is that when it said his garments were filthy, that they were filthy with human excrement. Not that he was releasing his bowels, <laughs> but I understood because you see, you're talking about a God no one really knows. Okay, what we know of the Father is revealed to us by Jesus Christ. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father, you know? Even mm -hmm. if you don't believe what I say, believe me for the very work's sake because no one knows him but me. And no one knows me but him. And he's known in us. But there's something different. And he has to, it's like this. Jesus always had people following him around. He has all follow, he has all kinds of followers today. But he says he knoweth them that put their trust in him. He says in first, uh, second Timothy 2, 19, for the throne of God standeth upon this foundation, having this seal. It's a seal mm -hmm. on the very throne. It's not like in one of the books nearby, uh, it with a page was flipped open. It says a seal is on his very throne, the throne of God that he sits on. The God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth says, for the throne of God standeth sure upon this foundation, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his and let everyone who nameth the name of jesus christ depart from iniquity when i talk about god i think to myself first of all he had to exist jamie before he made a throne for himself he had to exist before there was any stellar constellations before there was a galaxy he existed before an angelic myriad of hosts who is he really but he sends this man among us born of a woman born under the law to redeem them born under the law that they may become sons of god and and even job says how little is known of him 
you know, when we really think about the fact that he feels all of, you know, it says, um, and I saw him who was seated upon the throne, whose faith face the earth and heaven fled from, and they can find nowhere to go. That's, that's terrifying. Yeah. You know, and so when we talk about, like you were talking about ministry, right? Um, there's a lot of people that have specialized ministries, right? They do. But I believe that there is no specialized ministry. I believe as children of God, we should be open to do everything for him, whatever it is to be done if, with him and whatever he asks us to do. This is, this is good education. This is good character building because we build our character in the stream of life. We build mm -hmm. our talent in private with him. And, you know, Paul, it says in, um, you know, because you, you're talking about being obedient, you know, and it's like, how can you be obedient to a voice you're not hearing? How can you obey yeah. a word in due season? I mean, go ahead and speak to that because so many people are like, they're hearing so much, but I want to hear what you have to say about that. No, I mean, the the centrality of scripture, one, one of the primary central themes of all of scripture is knowing. And that word knowing presupposes an intimacy that most people aren't even willing to scratch the surface of. The word knowing oftentimes in scripture is even alludes to uh, the sexual connotation of a knowing, that depth of intimacy. And why is that so important to know and understand? Because even, you know, this isn't off topic, ladies and gents, so don't get freaked out. <laughs> Sex was created to testify to the depth of the gospel. That is why it's such a big deal. And that's why all the perversion, the majority of all perversions is centered around sexual perversions. This is why the angels rebelled and, and did their sexual perversions of all things, because it was one of the primary ways to represent the gospel in the most intimate way that the two become one. I am in you and you are in me. And I, I just as I am in the Father and He is in me, it is this this beautiful picture, this consummation. You're the bride; He's the bridegroom. Like, what does a bride and a bridegroom do? They become one flesh. They're so unified that there's no higher form of intimacy and spiritual transfer than that act. And it was all meant to testify to the gospel. What's the number one thing that is used to pervert and to taint people and they're standing before a holy God? Sexual perversion. Because it was the number one thing created to testify the gospel. Same thing with the family. The family was supposed to be the number one unit to testify to the cohesion of the gospel magnified in the Trinity and everything that it's centered on. What's the number one thing that comes under attack? The nuclear family. So I say all that to say that this concept of knowing of the Lord is literally everything. It is everything. Those who know, those who know, those who know, because they know, because they know, those who I know, those who I know. And then the most woeful words that a professing believer in Christ Jesus could ever possibly hear away from me, I never knew you. You know, I I'm mean, it just create, right? go ahead, go ahead. I mean, okay, just I'm so glad you brought that up too, because the other day when I was reading that verse, okay. 
Matthew chapter seven, right? Many will say unto me on that day, right? Judgment, Lord, Lord. Okay, that's a profession. When you say something twice, that's you saying, Lord, Lord, that's, you know, you're saying he's your Lord, okay? Uh, didn't we prophesy in your name and in thy name didn't we cast out devils and in thy name did not we do many wonderful works but he said I will he said but I will assuredly say unto you depart from me ye workers of iniquity for I never knew you but let me tell you something that same day I was in the book of Acts chapter 17 and uh and I was reading about the seven sons of Sceva and I thought about that devil who spoke to those sons and said Jesus I know and Paul I know but I don't know you. And yeah. I went, whoa, hold on a minute. Do you understand the relevance of this, Jamie? Because on one hand, Jesus is going, get away from me. I, I don't even want you near. I don't even know who you are. I don't recognize you. I don't know you. Depart yeah. from me. You're cursed. Okay. But then you have Satan's kingdom who's saying, I don't know you either. You become this vagabond border dweller worker of iniquity there there is something deeper and deeper in this because there is a kind of lulling i'm going to share that dream remember there's a dream yeah this man somebody sent me a dream of this gentleman i believe he is the real thing he's an older gentleman um i'm going to try and include it uh in the description box below the link you could hear his dream that he talked about but anyways he really has a heart to pray for the men of this nation and so he said he had been praying along, praying to God, and he just was so taken in his heart to say, Lord, please show me, show me how to pray, show me how to pray for the men of this nation. He said he didn't even know what to expect. He just knew that he had to ask God, show me about the men. And I believe it was like that night or a couple of nights later, he has a dream. And I'm not going to go into all the details of it. You can listen to it yourself. But in one portion of that dream, he sees China, he sees a war field. He sees Chinese troops coming this way and they're buttoned up. I mean, they are complete. And you would get what I mean by that. I mean, they're just completely profesh. They're on point. He says, all of a sudden he sees um, American men coming this way on the battlefield. He said, they were all sleep walking he said they were like zombies he said they were walking there was no they were not dressed for battle they had no weaponry they were sleep walking onto a battlefield and one of the he said he saw one of the wives of the men running onto the battlefield and shaking them like wake up wake up so I shared that with you and you go, well, that's really relevant to what we're talking about. So it's absolutely relevant. I mean, Nahum three says in that day, it's a form of judgment on a reprobate nation. Your fighting men will be like women on that day. Mm -hmm. Our Ephraim, though armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle right. on that day. You know, and it goes on that day, all your great warriors will hear the battle cry, but none will respond to it. On that, and there's even a prophetic fulfillment of the fact that the women will be beseeching the men to stand up to the challenge and they won't do it. That's prophetic fulfillment on judgment on, on a nation as well, too. So it's all very significant, and especially the concept of Ephraim. Ephraim is the exact 
perfect representation of the Laodicean church. You can insert Ephraim whenever you hear Laodicea or Laodicean church for Ephraim. Do your do do a study on Ephraim, the sins of Ephraim. The sin of Ephraim was compromise with the culture, thinking that they were honoring God so that they could be all things to all people. Ephraim presumed the sin of presumption, which David says, keep back your servant from sin of presumption. Don't let it have dominion over me. So that tells me that there's something very dominating about presumption. It actually takes dominion to be a presumptuous person, mm -hmm. right? And again, side note, God distinguishes between presumptuous sin and sins of ignorance in Deuteronomy. Very, very particular distinction. Um, but Ephraim was very presumptuous riding on the shirt tails of the legacy of the saints that had gone before him. Sound familiar? <laughs> on the legacy of the martyrs, on the legacy of strength, because guess who Ephraim was? They were the descendants of the tribe of Joshua. Right. And so they presumed consummate superiority, spiritual and physical prosperity and dominionism because they were descendants of Joshua. They were the most presumptuous, sin-filled nation ever. The sin of Ephraim has spoken to so many times how disgusting they were before God, just like the Laodicean church is so disgusting. There's no other church like it, no other church age, no other church dispensation. It wasn't the during the Reformation, and it wasn't during the Dark Ages in the 12th to the 15th centuries. It wasn't that's not it wasn't when Catholic Catholicism, the Jesuits were filleting Protestants. That's not when God says he it was that that wasn't the most disgusting church age. The most disgusting church age, ladies and gents, is evangelicalism. It is so disgusting that he says, you're like hot vomit in my mouth as it renders in the Hebrew. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So disgusting. And it is the only church age we already mentioned earlier that he's on the outside trying to get back in trying to get back in. It's the only church age that has such faulty perception. It's not just that, you know, you go through all the seven church, the letters to the seven churches, yeah. and it's like, you know, you, you, you've kind of got some air coming in. And, oh, you tolerate that Jezebel. Oh, and some of you are running off their Balin's air and, you know, the Nicolaitans, you know, and he kind of like, he's like, you're doing this well, but I have this against you. You're doing this well, but I have this against you. You're doing this well, but hey, check yourself. Except for the church of Laodicea, he has no edification to mention to them. None whatsoever. And it's yeah. not because they were falling heir to deceptions and doctrines of demons. It's because they loved them and proclaimed that they were glorifying God while they were doing it. Hence, Bethel, Hillsong, Social Justice, Gospel Coalition, Southern Baptist Convention. You know, pick a name. You know, uh, a fellowship with darkness, undergirding BLM, undergirding Antifa, swing the pendulum, Hebraic roots, totally denying Christ, denying all Pauline scripture. It's like you pick a thing and every single one of them is saying, we're crushing it for God. We're crushing it. We're doing it all for God. We're crushing it for God. And he's like, dude, woe to you, Ephraim, though armed with the bow, it's us filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with weapons of warfare that tearing down every stronghold, turn back on the day of battle. You know what it says? For Ephraim carrying bows turned back in the day of battle for they refused. So yep. you see that will. They refused to do battle. And also too, let me say something about that church of Smyrna that you were talking about. I did a little history on the ch church of Smyrna and the church of Smyrna. Let me tell you how they were destroyed. Okay. Um, they were located at the very top of a precipice. Okay, and you couldn't attain unto it 
in any way because the warriors could look down in any way so they were anybody who ever tried to come against smyrna was destroyed because they had the the, the height advantage to look down to see who was coming they got uh, over the centuries they got used to it they got used to it like everybody knows people come against us we're going to see them and everything they're not you know we have a reputation see they they rested on that reputation presumptuous yeah so presumptuous you know yep. it says in psalm 19 it says uh, then shall i be free from the great transgression god calls presumptuousness the great transgression that's the only transgression i mean there's millions of them but he focuses on that one because in other, in other words what you're doing is in order to, to to behave or act presumptuously you're doing it in the face of knowledge and therefore yes. your will is against it's you in other words you rise up to be a rival against god yeah and, and another thing about um that laodicean church you know in the beginning john says i was in the spirit on the lord's day and i turned to see the voice that spake unto me and being turned i saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the seven candlesticks one like unto the son of man and so on right and he deals first with ephesus and he did remove the candlestick from there he removed it back then okay um and then by the time and then like you said there's all these different like the nicolaitans and the you know, and of course, we're looking at the seven church periods and we're looking at the Catholic Church, which is Thyatira and so forth and so on. And but when we see and I believe that the Philadelphian age pretty much ended a little bit before our birth on Earth, um, there was a period of where you look at the age of enlightenment, which was yeah. the, the Puritan era. And the great, the great, the times of the great, the great awakening in the early, yeah, late 18th or yeah. 19th century. Yeah. But he says here about the lukewarm ones, he says, because you say, let me tell you something, Ezekiel's rich with this one. It says, because thou sayest, because yeah. thou sayest, therefore, because you said, because you said, and that goes all the way through the gospels. But he I, says, I speak to that all the time. It says, because you say, all who do you are good in the eyes of the Lord. Where is this God? You know, it's like, how have yeah. we wearied you, Lord? How have we wearied you? And he goes, because you say. Because, because you, know you say this. You know why? Because he's a God of judgment. And mm -hmm. what he is as a judge, that's the indictment. Because yes. you said, okay, perfect weights and balances. But when they confess with their own mouth that they're increased with good, they have need of nothing. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And he says, and you don't even know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy gold, try the fire that thou mayest be rich. And that, and then he talks about the eye salve. In other words, you know, I was thinking about this one day. You tell me right now, Jamie, which born again person that you know that's alive in the spirit in your head right now. You don't have to name names or anything, but are they poor? By his poverty, we're made rich, right? amen you know the gospel was you know and are they miserable no they're never miserable they they're alive they're new creations um and we can go through that little list you know when jesus says behold the spirit of the lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the brokenhearted uh to, all those things and jesus reiterates that in the temple in luke chapter four but then he says something interesting because 
um, what he says, he talks about a physical, like eyes will see, ears will hear, lepers cleanse, days are dead are raised up to life again. And I say, yes, that was a physical reality during Jesus' day. He was doing those things, but he was on the left side of the cross at that point. Amen? Yeah. So when you go to the right side of the cross, well, we're saying now, when he says, I've, I've anointed, God has anointed me, you know, to preach a gospel, he said, but then the things that happen now are spiritual. Will he do a physical thing? Will he do those things again? Yes. However, I see it in the spiritual way too, as well, is that um, when he touches um, our eyes, remember he told, he told Paul, he said, Paul, he said, I have called thee, I have chosen thee to cause you to see me, that you would know my will. That you and would that, know. There's, that you would know the my knowing. Will. Yeah. Right. But your eyes have to see mm -hmm. your eyes have to be, you have to be made to see. Remember he says, stand up, Paul. He didn't say Paul. He just said, stand up for I have called thee to be a minister unto the Gentiles whom I am now sending thee to, to open up their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God and so forth. You know, Jesus says in John six forty, he says, for this is the will of my father that everyone that seeth the son and believeth on him will have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. You have to be made to see him. That's why he says, and I salve that you may see. If you're not seeing, you're blind. You have not received that sight and you're walking according to the light of this world, which is darkness. And if that darkness is in you, oh, how great is that darkness? And then you wind up somewhere you don't know. It's like the wandering stars. Remember in Jude, he he was condemning them. Um, he was saying they're 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 wandering stars, right? He called the false teachers wandering stars. And what I understand about wandering stars, I'm sure you know this, Jamie. But to those that don't, I say this is that back then they didn't have navigation systems. They didn't have map. They didn't have anything. They, so the, the people that traveled long distances had to use the stellar constellations to go, okay, we go this way when the star is this way. And they, but if you didn't get it right, you could wind up in enemy country and possibly lose your life at the end of it. So Jesus is our bright morning star and we have to be made to see him. And you know what? Um, and he has to give it to us. And one thing I've been seeing that's just standing out so much to me, Jamie, like you have no idea the word that I've been seeing. One little word that's like exploding like a popcorn machine, okay? Is that God gives everything. And more than what we really ever accredit him to what he has given to us, what he gives Everything, especially in Revelation, you see it explode and it was given unto him and it was given unto them and he gave them, and he gives and he gave and he gives and he gave and it was given. And it was like God saying, everything you have. Remember, David even said, who am I in his last address to Israel? Who am I and who are all these people that I that we should give so generously unto him when everything we have has already been given unto us? Amen. And so, you know. I think of something Amy Carmichael said, and it was so profound to me. And she said, when I look at the cross, she said, how can I 
say that anything I do is a sacrifice. Yeah. And I think that goes back when you look at Matthew seven, you notice that this is the, the distinction that God's making because anybody who actually knows the Lord, when he, when you stand before him, when you stand before the Bema seat, when the books are thrown open and he says, what do you have to show for your return? What have you done for, for what was invested in you? Anybody who actually knows him would say nothing, mm. Christ alone. Christ in me. They would say nothing. But notice what those in Matthew 7 say. Lord, we did. We did. We did. We did. Look at what I 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 did. But a true redeemed of the Lord who has a knowing of their God would say, I did nothing. Mm. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Nothing. I bring nothing. He he is my helmet of salvation. He is my blessed prayer of righteousness. His faithfulness is my shield. It's his faithfulness that goes before me. He is the truth that's girded around my waist. He is the peace that I now have between the Father. Where one shot I was his, in, his enemy, and I was at enmity with the Lord Most High. He made peace between me and his Father through what he did. He is my covering. He is my righteousness. He is my salvation. He's presenting me before you spotless and with great joy, Jesus paid it all. That would be that would be the answer. So if anybody goes, well, I did this, Lord, and I see that's religion. That's religion. And they do not know their God. I was super duper friendly. I never told anybody the truth. I never shared the word in a way that would be offensive to anybody. I never ruffled any feathers. I was all things to all people. I never judged lest I would be judged. I that's what I did, Lord. And he's like, I, I don't know you. I literally have no idea who you are, you know, and, and so you do see that that ju juxtaposition. I wanted to come full circle because you asked a pointed question earlier that, again, I don't think most people understand if they don't have the king, uh, uh, the a fuller kingdom mindset of what it looks like to be a king. So uh, kingdoms are martial in connotation. It's always martial. So you said, how is it? You asked a question similar, like not only does Christ not know them, but the enemy doesn't know them either. How could that be? And this is what it's centered on. It's centered on treason. That's why. Mm -hmm. A person who is treasonous to their commander-in-chief, to their standing orders, to their codes of conducts, to the nation or the kingdom that they are representative of, to a person that is treasonous to their king and kingdom and their nation and their mission mm. set, they are a reproach to the nation that they represent and also the nation that they betrayed. That's right. Because yeah. they know that you have zero value. If you were willing to betray them, you'll betray them. So they use you, right? This is Benedict Arnold. Do You do the research on, on being a turncoat, right? It's a part of our lexicon. To be a traitor is so significant that to be a turncoat means that you took off the coat of the Continental Army, the blue coat, and you put on the red coat of the British Empire he thought that by betraying his nation and, and saying, I don't know them, I don't represent them anymore, I will serve you, that he was going to have a seat at their table. And you know what the British did? They laughed and they wow. mocked. They took what they can from them. They devoured what they could from them. They took the information. They took the betrayal because they knew it would be such a finger in the eye. He was a hero of the Continental Army, highly esteemed hero. They knew it would be such a finger in the eye of the morale of the revolutionaries. So they took it from him 
and then they mocked him and then they scoffed him and then the seat that they had promised him at the table they took from him he got no land holdings he got no uh no great commission no higher rank they they he was a laughing stock to the gentleman class of the british army and a reproach to the gentleman class of the continentals wow jamie so that was that's so why wow like i didn't think about that like treason and the way you just described that and benedict arnold i didn't even know that which i'm super glad to know that piece of information like that's going to be in my little bag but that really explains it right like you can't you, like you were saying you can't drink the cup of god the cup of the lord and you can't dine at devil's tables and there's this there's kind of like you know it says um it says desire not uh, it's in Proverbs, desire not the dainty meats of the man that has that's rich, right? Yeah, uh huh. Remember, yep. he says he's looking at you through an evil eye, and he's gonna say something to you, and he says, Watch out because you're gonna vomit up your you're gonna vomit out those sweet words. You gotta be careful whose yeah. table you're sitting at. And and what does it say about what what is friendship with the world? It enmity. says it very plainly enmity, that's treason. It's friendship with the, with the world is treasonous against the most high enmity, bitter rancor, bitter rancor, forcible hatred, warfare. You are treasonous. Why? Because the Lord's number one way that he has chosen to identify himself all throughout scripture is the Lord of the heavens armies as commander in chief. That's the number one way he's chosen to be identified and known as is as a commander in chief. And you, by befriending the world, are it, you are treasonous towards your standing orders. And so therefore you are approached to him and his kingdom and you're a mockery to the powers of darkness. So they'll take your treason, right? I, I, an enemy strategic thing goes, I want you to defect. Are you kidding me? Yeah, defect, homie, because I want to... I want you to be a portent. I want you to be a morale corrupter. I want you to be an infiltrator. I want you, I want you to be treasonous, but don't think that we that we honor you for your act of treason. We know you're a coward. And that's why who is the first ones thrown into the lake of fire? First ones. Cowards. The cowards. The cowards. Church, are you listening? That is so good, Jamie. I love Are you it. listening? The cowards. And it's, this is speaking to the church. And that's why it says we are not of those who shrink back, knowing that if we do, he will be displeased with you. You will receive his displeleasure, a removal of pleasure if you shrink back. You know, Paul perdition. says, in perdition. Go ahead. Well, no, just injecting there. Remember, he says, shrink back into perdition. Yes. Yes. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 1, I eagerly expect, I have an eager expectation of courage. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way I'll be ashamed, but that now as always, I will have sufficient courage. Why? So that Christ will be exalted in me. I represent something. And he goes on to say, so don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. It'll be a sign to them that they're being destroyed, but that you are being saved. Courage exalts Christ. Cowardice, compromise, complacency, slothfulness, all these things, a love of the world are treasonous towards the God of all the creation, the Lord Almighty, and the Son, Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of your salvation, who showed you the lengths to which he was willing to go for you in the field of battle, 
No greater love is there than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you obey my commands. He already showed you. And then yet you're going to go play, play, you know, fiddlesticks with the world because you think that that's loving. Like, well, I'm being loving to everybody. Look, I'm being so loving. And it's like, you love yourself. That's right. You love being validated by men. You love being well-received. You're not willing to be mocked or scoffed or to be a portent. You're not willing to be persecuted. You're not willing to forsake the things of the world. You love the world and the things of the world. And therefore, I'm not saying this, the Lord God Almighty of heaven's eternal has spoken this. You are a traitor and cowards are the wow. first to go in the lake of fire. Well, and, and I, I say this because wow. this is what I'm battling with in, with family members all the time. And with apostate, it's like, this is insane that you're saying that that's glorifying God. Don't you have the word? Don't you see the scriptures? Don't you fear the Lord? Don't I don't understand it. This is kind of how we started off our conversation. What is going on? I don't, it's like, we're not even reading the same Bible. We're not even seeking and serving the same God. This is insane. But it goes back to that sin of presumption. They deliberately forget that the same God who judged the earth by fire is coming again, or that judge it by deluge is coming again to judge it by fire. It's willful. It's deliberate. Knowing God, they neither glorify him nor gave him thanks, but become darkened in the hardness of the hearts, right? Uh, uh, because they love not the truth. God gives them over to a strong delusion. They know, but in the sin of presumption, they, in the face of empirical data, objective truth, of eternal truth of the Lord, of the fear of the Lord, they say, I will do this, and the Lord will do nothing, neither good nor bad. And where is this God of justice that you keep talking about? Exactly. It's, it's insane. insane. And you know something it says, I was thinking about this because you're talking about the will, right? Presumption is your will, you're going against the knowledge of the truth, right? Yes, um, deliberately. Absolutely, because it says in Second Peter, he talks about, um, it says uh, in chapter three, it says, um, for they, in the latter days, they shall say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue on as they were from this, the beginning. And the next verse, the part of it, there's more up to it, but the first words are, of this, they are willingly ignorant. Yes, willingly. I I I appreciate it. So, I'm so glad you're you're in tune to that because I've preached on it so many times. This idea of deliberate, of willful, deliberate and willful. That is the spirit of this apostate church age. And I don't care how you try to show. And I, I'm speaking to the seeker friendly church because that's what I've been immersed by. I don't care how you try to sugarcoat it as as if you're being loving. It is all centered on love of self. Hence, you have the form of godliness, right? You look hyper-moral. It's hyper-morality. You have the form of godliness, but you totally deny the power thereof. You're always learning, but you actually are never able to come to an understanding of the truth. You read book after book and Christian author after Christian author about how to love and how to forgive and how to undergrad and how to shepherd a heart and how to do all these things. But you're never able to come to an understanding of the truth. Because the truth is the person and the deity of Christ Jesus. He is the truth. And that's what you don't have a knowing of. You, you've reduced God into your own image so that you can be validated by all people at all times. You and know, so you are actually a lover of self and a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Because what's pleasurable is relationships without tension. 
It's that's what's pleasurable yeah. is to interact with people without tension that creates pleasure it's getting family together time after time again and never addressing the weighty things of the lord allowing the holy spirit to work under our sanctification no what's pleasurable is la 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 see no evil hear no evil i don't want to talk about that because i actually love myself and i love your standing before a holy god i do not regard your standing before a holy god i regard my sense of pleasantries for the afternoon and I, I I just see it over and over and over again. You know, I was thinking about that uh, verse, and I believe it's um, Jeremiah. No, it's Isaiah. I believe it could be 44. I don't have it before me, but he's, it talks about the idol maker. You know, he gets a stump of wood, he carves it, he fashions it with ch chains, gold chains. And it says, and he fashions it after the beauty of man. So, man. Hence the church right now. Yeah. It's the church looks as corporately Hollywood-ish, West Coast, East Coast, glamorous as the world. Disgusting. Disgusting. And and it, it and that's why the Lord says, you say your faulty self-actualization, you see you say this about yourself, but oh, if you only knew how I see you. If you only knew. You know, it reminds me, I think it's Jeremiah five or six, but the Lord says, to whom can I go to? To whom can I speak? To whom can I give warning? Their yeah. ears are closed so they do not hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. And you know what the last thing that the that the type of the church Israel was saying in a, a Malachi two and three, right before the Lord went silent for over 400 years, they were saying the same thing the church is saying now. How have we wearied you, Lord? Right? Faulty self-actualization. Right. How have we wearied you? We're crushing it for you, God. Look at, we're a light on a hill, a city on a hill for you, God. And he goes, because you say all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And where is this God of justice? That's why. Because of hyper grace, seeker-friendly hyper grace. This is why, what comes next? I am a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. You better brace yourself. I'm coming to judge you. I'm coming near for you for your harm, not for your good. That That's what the Lord says to his people. You know, I got to say something. It was when you said you started talking about treason and then you used that word coward. And there was something like for minutes long that I felt such like, you know, when you hit the nail, like a, the nail fastened in a sure place, that's Jesus, right? He is a nail fastened. Yeah in a sure place. It was like a nail fastened in a sure place. Like I'm telling you, Jamie, and I'm very conservative when I say I feel the Lord was moving. I'm very conservative with that. That was the very word of this hour. I'm telling you right now, like even now when I'm speaking about it, I can feel his witness in my spirit, man, that that is the word he is just like, just he grabbed, it's like I grabbed onto what he was just in me saying, coward. You know why? Because, you know, when you said in that word in, in Revelation, it says the cowards, right? And it says, and the unbelieving. Yes. Because they never believed him. And you're a coward. You become a coward or are a coward because you really don't believe him. You don't believe. And, and at the root of all cowardice, here's what makes a coward is self-preservation. That's right. That's what defines a coward. Is yes, that's right. Self-preservation is the definition of a coward. And what's the definition of courage? The definition of courage is in the face of overwhelming fear, you persevere. 
That's what begets courage. You cannot have courage without fear. It does not take courage to go to Walmart. Well, kind of. <laughs> it kind of takes courage to go there, depending on the time of the day, right? And it takes, it is, it, it does not take courage to go check my mailbox. There's no sense of fear. It takes overwhelming courage to stand immovable on the word of the Lord, no matter what the cost is. And that's why Paul beseeches, I think it's in Ephesians 5 or 6, beseeches them, pray for me that I would boldly and correct, boldly and fearlessly, the removal of fear, proclaim the gospel for which I'm ambassador. Pray for me that I would be fearless as I ought to be. Pray for my courage because this is where courage is born out from. And a believer is in the face of overwhelming fear. So when you grow in the fear of the Lord, you will grow in the courage of the Lord. You must have be undone by the fear of the Lord in order to be among those who know their God and go forth in courage and do daring feats of valor, courageous feats of valor, as the word translates in Daniel eleven thirty two. 32. It can only occur in the face of overwhelming fear, not fear of the world and not fear of man. You'll be under a curse, but fear the Lord, your God, because you, you know, know him. You know what I was thinking? The men that broke through the Philistine ranks to go get the well, water from Bethlehem, the well of Bethlehem to bring back to David and he poured it out. They they hazarded not their life. Like they, I mean, come on, for a glass, for, for a little water. Yeah. Think about or like da David charging out against Goli like a 14 year old. And and again, that's a that's a type of the church. That, that, uh, was it first Samuel 18? I can't even remember now. Like that is the perfect depiction of church standing battle arrayed and all their armor. We're the warriors. We're God's people. We're God's covenanted people. Look at us standing out there and they're all trembling in their armor because they didn't know their God. It took a 14 year old boy who did know their God, who in fearlessness and encouraged because of fear of the Lord, who goes, who the freak is this uncircumcised heathen to find my God? Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> You're, you're going to let this dude, you're going to mock my God? Heck no. I know my God. He's going to deliver you into my hands this day. I'm going to feed you to the birds. I'm like, where's that spirit of David and the redeemed of the Lord? I, I feel that way with certain, certain of my family members. Like, like, I feel like freaking out and being like, who's this uncircumcised heathen? How dare you use the name of my God to justify that? Right. How dare you? He will strike you down this day. Ooh, that's unloving. That's judgmental. No, that is fullness of love. Love for my God. That that's is true. love for my God. I love love the Lord, the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love you so much that I will not tolerate you mocking my God because I know what that's going to cost you on the day of judgment. That's going to cost you everything. How dare you use his name in vain to justify that vain, vain thing? How dare you? And it's like, where is that righteous indignation? Where is that love for the Lord? Where is that fear of the Lord? Where is that love for the souls of men that you won't allow the gospel, the only thing that sets men free to be tainted? Stop allowing the gospel to be tainted because you love men, rightly, authentic love that you're willing to lay down your life, that you're willing to be mocked and scoffed and reviled and be told that you're hard, harsh, or, or whatever words they want to throw at you, right? Because they apostasy the church. Like you do not love your life so much as you want to preserve it, even from the other claimants of Christianity, but you love their soul. You love their soul before a holy God. Where is it? Yeah, that's excellent. You know, um, 
this military man, he's gone to be with the Lord. He died in his 80s, probably 20 years ago, and he was a wonderful minister. And he was talking about the gospel. He had been in this war and, you know, I'm sure you know which war, but he said, let me tell you something. The God, and he sees it like you do, like, because he would talk about like a military way, like he would see it through his eyes. And he said, we are in a war to get home. He said, when I was in war, there wasn't told, okay, you're only going to be, you're, you're going to have a six months uh, time and you're going to come back or you'll be gone for two years or you'll be gone a year. He said, when we were at war, we didn't know when we were going to come home. He said, we were just going to be there until the war ended. We had to accept the fact that we could be there a long time. And he said, but we, that made us fight. He said that, that made us fight because we wanted to go home. He said, yeah, we, yeah we, we were told the same thing. The only way, the only way home is to win the day. The only way home is to fight through the enemy. You know, and you, you, if, uh, if you took casualties in the battlefield, they're like the only way to preserve the life of your brother who now has become a casualty of the war is to advance, advance through the enemy and win the day. Cause you can't tend to him on the bat. Like you can't right. stop the fight. The only way to, you want to preserve your buddy, you fight through the enemy. Right. And, and so it really is this, this, that's why I say all of scripture is martial. It's all martial from Genesis like one, one to revelation 20. It's all martial language. This is the nature and the calling of your election in Christ Jesus. This, because why? Because this was Christ calling election. First John three, eight, I think maybe for this reason, the son of man was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the evil one. That's, right. That's the mission set. That, like this is the mission set. And now you're in him and he is in you. And as you've seen in uh, now you do. So now you work being wise, not unwise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. You tear down every stronghold and false pretense that sets itself up with the knowledge of God. The nature of the warfare is so gnarly that just to stand in the midst of the battle requires the literal armor of God, which is Christ in you, over you, on you. You are commanded to take the sword of the spirit, which is Christ himself in your hand and wield him as a master swordsman to exact a blow against the enemy. Like, do you not understand what you have been drawn into, what you have been enlisted into in Christ Jesus? It's the war of ages. It's a war against a king and a kingdom and his glory and against the souls of men. And you're right smack in the front lines of it. Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Arise and Christ will shine upon you. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, the final word I'm looking at right here in Revelation is everything you just said, right? Like you were like, you're sounding a great alarm because this is going to go all over the world. It just is. It's just, there's a lot of people that watch it and a lot of people share. And a lot of people like to hear what you have to say. I love to hear what you have to say. And I think about everything you said and there comes a point where God stops warning, you know? And he says, yes. uh, verse 11 of 22, he says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Amen. You know, there is going to come a moment. You know, there's not like you were talking this, you know, um, kind of big top circus, if you will, religious system. Because really, that's what the religious system is. It's turned into like a big top circus. But, you know, God is very serious and he does get to a point where he does have a program. He does have the times and seasons. He does have his, we'll just say the program, okay? 
but there does come a point, you know, where I think the words that you spoke today, I know in my heart, I know that I, I could feel when the Holy Spirit was now. I mean, all of it was his, but it's when you spoke about saving yourself. Seriously, I know that that was the gold vein of this talk about trying to save yourself and not be a cow, you know, being a coward and not being unbelieving, but to be be full of courage. You know, it says the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee though no man pursues him, you know? Yeah. And notice that, notice who are among those who are the overcomers or the conquerors. They're those who do not love their lives so much as they're afraid to lose it. It's such, it's the distinct juxtaposition, self-preservation, lover of the world versus kingdom-minded, no love of self. I know my God, my life is hidden in him. Ain't nobody taking it from me mm-hmm. unless he delivers it over. It is his bought and paid for, imperishable, incorruptible, the blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. No, but I do not love my life so much as I'm afraid to lose it. I am poured out. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I know that. Why wouldn't I speak up? Why wouldn't I stand up? Why wouldn't I go? Why wouldn't I do whatever he requires of me? Mm. Why wouldn't I go to zero if he requires me to go to zero? What in the what, what self-preservation am I clinging to as a coward and lover of the world? And now I'm a traitor, treasonous to my commander in chief and the captain of my salvation. What? What is it worth to you, ladies and gents? Bring the whole tithe of your life into the storehouse of God. Test him in this and watch what he'll do. Watch. Grow in the knowing of your God. Watch what he'll do. He will make you strong unto daring feats of valor. Are you kidding me? Yes, please. Tell me where to enlist. I'm on it. Like, let me make much of the king and kingdom that I belong to and that I say that I represent. Let it be shown not by faith only, but by my deeds, because faith without deeds is dead. Let it be shown. Let my life testify to it, Lord. Let the blood of the lamb, let the word of my testimony be such. And let me never fear my life so much as I'm afraid mm-hmm. to lose it. Amen, amen, amen. That's so good. Hold fast our crowns, right? Like we're, we're holding our crown. Each one of us, we're holding it, right? Jamie, I can talk all day long with you. Like I yeah, can totally awesome. talk all day long with you. So I know you probably have a busy day today because we've talked early this morning, but um, I am so grateful that you were on today and I'm so honored that you were here. And I just, from my heart, um, just tell you, I love you so much as my brother in the Lord. And uh, I just convey that from a lot of people that love you too, that they're going to be like, oh, yay, Jamie, because it's the greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world that they're hearing. And they love you too, of course. So I want to thank you so much for your word that was so good for me. I've just been so moved by it. Like, I know that it's not just gonna fade away like a vapor. I, I know it's gonna, I'll probably wanna talk more about it in my next video, um, who knows? But I just wanted to thank you so much. Oh, and before you go, please, and all your information will be in the link below in the description box, but how can people contact you? Yeah, they can. Uh... Um, they can get a hold of me at omegadynamics.org. So that's omegadynamics.org. And obviously the, the word Omega Dynamics is the powerful and effectual actions of the redeemed of the Lord at the end of all things are Omega Dynamics. We 
we have omega dynamics all laid out for us throughout the scripture so anyways that's that's the 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 uh website where that, that gate they can contact me at they can like just put their name and email in there and they'll get all the updates and stuff like that and see what we're doing out here in colorado now with the calico buffalo base camp and just a training center for the underground church and for the redeemer of the lord and to build up strong men that on the day of battle they will not have presumptuous sin, but they'll know their God and they'll go forth and do exploits. Strong men as in mankind, men and women and families, to yeah. train them up in their identity, Lord. That's what we're doing out here in Colorado now. Well, thank you very much. And God bless you. I'll look forward to having you on again soon, I hope. You could give us more. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I'm always available. It's all about the body of Christ. He, if he's willing to give himself up for us to make us blameless and spotless without wrinkle and radiant, then um, we ought to be that for one another at all costs. Amen. All right. Well, go with the Lord and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Thank you, sister. Thank you so much. <laughs>